What's that? Yeah, I just spoke to her. So, you want to do me a favor? Let's go ahead and get you to step out of the vehicle. Alrighty. Come on over here. You're not in any trouble right now. So, tell me what's going on. Mercedes gets worked up sometimes, and I try and really distance myself from her, so like I, I lock the car and I walk away from her. What, what happened this morning is that she's trying to start up like her own little website blog and everything, so I give her time. And I, we really had a nice morning, if any, and if anything, but um, she just got worked up because we were trying to get going and get our day going because we want to go um, like guard this place. Okay. Do you want to tell me about those scratches on your face? She had a cell phone in her hand. That's why I was pushing her away, because I... She wanted to, I locked the keys so I could walk away. I, I said, let's just take a breather and let's not you know, go anywhere. Let's just calm down for a minute because she's going to work up. And then she had her phone and was trying to get the keys to me. So I got in the way. I was just trying to, I know I shouldn't push, but I was just trying to push her away to go, let's, let's just take a minute, step back and breathe. And you see, she got me with her phone. Hey, lovely listeners, and welcome back to Crime Analyst and the Intelligence Cell. I'm starting this episode, as I often do, with a trigger warning. I'll be continuing my analysis of the police body-worn camera footage, and it's not an easy listen, and it may be triggering. Listener discretion is advised. So let's pick up where I left off. At the end of part four, I asked you to listen to Brian's response to Officer Robbins. Here's the context. Officer Robbins leaves Gabby and walks over to the van. Brian sat in the van. The Mel Park Ranger is there talking with him. Brian hears Officer Robbins approaching and he cranes his neck to see him and before Officer Robbins is level with the van window, Brian says, You spoke with my fiancé? What's that? Officer Robbins says. Brian says, You spoke with Gabrielle, right? Officer Robbins replies, Yeah, I just spoke with her, and says, Do you want to do me a favour and go ahead and step out of the vehicle? He further directs him and says, Come over here. You're not in any trouble right now. So tell me, what's going on? So did you pick up that Brian firstly says, Did you speak with my fiancé? The personal and possessive pronoun, my fiancé, this depicts ownership. And he doesn't name her. She's just the fiancé. He corrects himself, however, and does say Gabby's name the second time round. Now, oftentimes in cases I've worked, the abuser uses possessive pronouns and calls the female victim my wife, my partner, my girlfriend, and doesn't name her. I also see that even in murders. When they happen, she, the female, the female victim, may just become a footnote. She may not even be named. She might just be called the wife. This is always something I listen and look out for and try and correct the narrative when I see it happen. Also, as I said before, the subtext is, what did she say? What did she tell you? Brian wants to know. That's curious to me. Why is he so concerned about what she might say? So this is also a red flag. These are the sorts of things to be on the lookout for, And so when engaged in these situations, you should really shift your approach and say something like, so tell me, Brian, what do you think she told me? Or even, are you concerned about something she may have said? 
So once Brian is out of the van, Officer Robbins says, You're not in any trouble right now. Tell me what's going on. He appears to have determined very quickly that Brian is not in trouble. It's concerning to me that Officer Robbins hasn't spoken with Brian just yet, and he hasn't double-checked what the eyewitnesses have told the dispatcher. Now remember, one eyewitness said, We drove by and the gentleman was slapping the girl. Then we stopped. They ran up and down the sidewalk. He proceeded to hit her, hopped in the car and they drove off. The gentleman was slapping the girl and he proceeded to hit her. So the framing here is that Brian is the problem. Also, just think about that phrase, the gentleman slapping the girl. He is a gentle man and she is just a girl. But he sounds anything but a gentleman if he's slapping and hitting a woman, not a girl. I thought that was interesting in the framing. It sets a context and it also tells you about the caller. So Brian's response was this. Well, she just gets really worked up sometimes. I tried to really distance myself from her. Like I locked the car and walked away from her. What happened this morning was that she was trying to set up her own little website blog and I gave her time and we really had a nice morning. But uh, she got worked up because we were trying to get going and get our day going and hike the arches. So in this retelling, Brian positions Gabby as the problem. She's the emotional woman who gets worked up, and he's the logical and rational patient man who has to distance himself from the crazy. He says he locked the van up and walked away, so he locks her van up and locks her out of her van. Well, what if Gabby wanted to be in the van, which she clearly did? Why can't she decide for herself where she'd rather be? Why does Brian make the decision for her? Does he not see her as capable of deciding where she would rather be? If so, why? In my cases, I often see the abuser dressing up his behaviour as pseudo-caring behaviour. What I mean by that is that they convey that they're acting in the victim's best interests. The, I'm doing this to help her, she's the emotional one who gets worked up, whereas I'm the calm and rational one, better charged to make the decisions. I'm in control, I know what's best for her, and here I am interacting with the police being calm and rational, whereas she's being overly emotional and upset. Now when I see this in my cases, I question the dynamics in the relationship, rather than just accept this narrative. I look for a power imbalance. But that's the point, I'm already alive to it. If you're not alive to it, and you don't understand it, you won't be looking for it, and you won't see it, even when one exists. Brian explains that Gabby was trying to, and I quote from Brian, start her own little website blog. We had a nice morning, and she got worked up as we were trying to get our day going and go to the arches. So when he says, trying to set up her own little website blog, He's minimising and devaluing what she's doing. Gabby wasn't trying to do it. She had done it. And Brian had a front row seat to her doing it. The own little website blog feels to me like he's diminishing and devaluing her efforts. And why would he do that? He continues by underlining that Gabby got worked up and he was trying to get their day going while she was working on this little rinky-dink project. That's the subtext. Also, Brian says he gave Gabby time and they had a nice morning. Well, it's interesting that he says he gave her time. That's an odd thing to say. 
And Gabby already had said, we've been fighting this morning. And so it's evident it wasn't a nice morning for her. It's unlikely that she got this worked up about nothing. I see the reframing in the retelling of what's gone on by male abusers, and it's to make them look more favourable and the victim less favourable. It often involves devaluing and diminishing the victim to make them appear less than, and in return, it makes the male abuser feel more than. In cases that I've worked where I've seen this, it often stems from a deep-seated fear and or insecurity in the abuser. They often fear the victim will leave them, and they like to keep them in their place, hence devaluing them. It also makes them feel more powerful. This is exactly what happens in the relationship, and this is an extension of it when they interact with others. But the officer doesn't ask any questions about that, or why Brian doesn't believe Gabby is capable of doing the website, as she told him, or why Brian made the decision about locking the van. Nor does he ask about Brian slapping or hitting Gabby, as reported by the eyewitness. He would have had to have been aware of coercive control to pick up on these first behaviours that I've outlined. But instead, he changes tact and asks about the scratches on Gabby's face. Brian says Gabby had the cell phone in her hand and he was pushing her away. Brian says that he told Gabby to take a breather and calm down for a minute again because she was worked up and then she had her phone and she was trying to get the keys from him and he says he knows that he shouldn't have pushed her away. But he caveats it with he was trying to push her away and tells her to take a moment and breathe. Now whilst Brian is explaining this, he's calm. He gesticulates with his hands. He looks from officer to officer as he speaks. He sounds and looks plausible on the face of it. But why is Gabby so upset and distressed in the back of the police car? That question remains front and centre for me. Also, Brian appears to have no concern for Gabby whilst talking with the officers. Why not? If that was your fiancé, would you not feel very concerned about your partner, your love, being so upset and distressed? And you'd probably inquire about them. So it's not always what's present, it's sometimes what's missing. Some other things I was thinking about are comparing Brian's narrative with, one, the call to the police from the eyewitnesses, and two, with Gabby's account. For me, at this point, I would be keen to establish, one, how the argument began. We still don't know, and the fact neither of them say, particularly Gabby, is of concern for me. You see, victims often try and protect the abuser, and they blame themselves. They're quick to take accountability for their actions, and they're less likely to deny acting violently. However, the abuser is conversely keen to blame the victim for violence and minimise their own role in conflict. Two, I'd want to establish who the van belonged to, particularly given that Brian locked Gabby out of her own van. Also, it would have been helpful to establish what Gabby had on her person when Brian locked her out of the van. Had he given her her backpack, or did she have nothing with her? I'd want to know about that. I'd also want to find out, what was Brian saying to her at the time? What were his exact words, and what was her response? Also, I'd want to establish how long the time out lasted for. And then just some broader questions, to establish whether they argued a lot. And if so, well then how frequently? And when they argued, what did they tend to argue about? 
Also, how the arguments were normally resolved. For me, it's important to find out what the key points of conflict are, and also who the peacemaker is. Finding out who the peacemaker is can also tell me about power imbalances. Not always, but sometimes. So these are the initial questions I would ask, and then I would use the dash, the domestic abuse, stalking and harassment, and honor-based violence risk identification, assessment, and management model. So dash for short. That's a toolkit I developed to help guide these sorts of conversations, as well as professional judgments in exactly these situations. But in this situation, Officer Robbins asked to see Brian's hands, and he starts to note marks. Officer Robbins then asks him to tell him about hitting the curb. Now, Brian says he hit the curb when Gabby grabbed the wheel. Brian partly acts this out with his hands. Officer Robbins asks about the speed and also whether Gabby took over the pedal. I initially felt this was a bit tongue-in-cheek, as so far, Brian had thrown Gabby under the bus at every opportunity. But Brian says it was the adrenaline, seeing the lights flash, and that he was still shaking now. Brian apologises if he sped up, so he does take some responsibility here, but only for speeding. Brian apologises twice more, and then says they were just going for a hike, and he was, and I quote, trying to keep everything calm and quiet. He apologises again, so that's five times now that he's apologised in a couple of seconds, but all those apologies relate to the speeding. Again, Brian is quietly re-emphasising he is the calm, logical and reasonable person here. And as he says all of this, he makes eye contact with the three male officers he's talking with. Brian is then asked for his ID and date of birth, and that section of the audio is muted as it's personal data, which leads me to believe Moab City Police Department gave the footage to Fox 13 Tampa Bay. Admittedly, I wondered at the time why this police stop was in the public domain and how it got there. Was it because Gabby was missing? That's most likely, and it's unusual to have this sort of information in the public domain. But what it meant was that many people took an interest in Gabby's case, and I think that's a good thing. So back to the police stop. Brian then says, Criss cross applesauce, can I sit in the shade because I'm bald? They then joke about giving him some shade. Now that phrase, crisscross cross applesauce, that's not a phrase that's familiar to me, so I started to ask around a few people over here about what that meant to them. Everybody who I asked knew what it meant, and said it's generally used by nursery school and primary school teachers to children as a transition phrase to get them to sit cross-legged on the floor, but it can also be used as a pinky promise to do something. Now that's curious to me, because it's leakage and points to Brian's lack of emotional maturity. It's in direct conflict with the I'm the mature, rational man trying to de-escalate the situation. Both fight each other, and I'd be paying attention to it and seeing what other indicators exist either way. So again, if there's emotional immaturity, there can well be jealous and controlling behaviours. So that for me is why I would be paying attention to it, and it's a potential red flag. It may signpost us to jealous and controlling behaviour, and jealous and controlling behaviour normally signposts us to coercive control. So these are all things that I'd be looking for, and in particular when I'm using the dash, 
I would be asking follow-up questions to every question in the dash. Calling all lovers of mystery. Prepare to don your detective hat in June's Journey, a free hidden object mobile game that delves into the captivating journey of June Parker, a self-proclaimed detective on a quest to unravel the mystery surrounding her sister's untimely death. Take a trip in time to the glitzy 20s and play as June, deciphering clues and unveiling secret plots within thousands of beautifully illustrated scenes. The thrill is endless with new chapters added weekly, allowing you to not only enjoy the detective adventure, but also to personalize and decorate your very own Orchid Island where the story takes place. How sharp are your detective skills? Find out when you download June's Journey on your Android or iOS device or play online via Facebook games. Your detective journey awaits. Hey, lovely. What's your makeup go-to? What do you need to face the day? Now, for me, if I apply my eyeliner, my brilliant eye brightener, mascara and red lipstick, I feel ready to face anything. But I know every now and again, I need to zhuzh up my makeup. And my amazing sponsor, Thrive Cosmetics, has a full line of makeup to refresh your everyday look. With clean, skin-loving ingredients, their foolproof products make it easy for any skill level to apply. Also, Thrive Cosmetics' Bigger Than Beauty mission is amazing. For every product purchased, Thrive Cosmetics donates products and funds to help communities thrive. I love that Thrive Cosmetics supports domestic violence victims, breast cancer survivors, and women who are homeless. Now, if you want to wreck from me, you cannot go wrong with the Liquid Lash Extensions Mascara. Thrive Cosmetics Liquid Lash Extensions Mascara has a unique formula which creates tubes around each eyelash to lengthen them. And they use nourishing ingredients that support longer, stronger, and healthier-looking lashes over time. Plus, it's super easy to remove and slides right off with warm water and doesn't leave smudges. So treat yourself or someone you love and help women thrive together. Refresh your everyday look with Thrive Cosmetics, luxury beauty that gives back. Right now, you can get an exclusive 10% off your first order at thrivecosmetics.com slash crimeanalyst. That's Thrive Cosmetics, C-A-U-S-E-M-E-T-I-C-S dot com slash crime analyst for 10% off your first order. Meanwhile, Officer Eric Pratt, the bearded police officer, is talking with Gabby. At times, it's hard to make out exactly what he's saying and what Gabby replies because response officer Daniel Robbins is on the radio. Take a listen to this. Bravo, Romeo, India, Alpha, November. And then what? His reaction wants to do what? He's going to be out of Florida. He just grabbed you? Did he, did he hit you though? I mean, I mean, it's okay if you're saying you hit him. You know, I understand if he hit you, but we want to know the truth if he actually hit you. Because, you know, where did he hit you? Don't worry. Be honest. Yeah. Go ahead. 
So has he been drinking? No, we don't drink. Okay. What was up with his driving? I saw him steady hit a curb. I, I, I... While you're driving? Look. While he was driving, you were hitting him? I hear Officer Pratt say, Where did you hit him? You slapped him first. How many times did you slap him? And his reaction was to do what? I don't see Gabby nodding, and I don't hear her answering any of these questions. What I do hear is Gabby saying, He grabbed me. Officer Pratt interjects, He just grabbed you? But did he hit you, though? It's okay if you're saying you hit him. I understand if he hit you, but we want to know the truth if he actually hit you, because you know. Now I can see that Gabby is distressed. She seems hesitant to say what happened, and it's hard to make out what she's saying, but I believe she says, I guess, I guess, he hit me first. Officer Pratt interjects, well, where did he hit you? Don't worry, be honest. Gabby says, he like grabbed my face like this. Gabby puts her hand to her face. She places her palm across her mouth with her fingers bearing down on one side and her thumb on the other side of her face. She says, he didn't like hit me in the face or anything. He didn't like hit me. Officer Pratt again asks, did he slap your face or what? Gabby starts crying again and restates, he grabbed my face like this and she grabs her face with her hand to show him. Gabby starts stroking her cheek and tells him there are cuts on her face that she can feel. She has her palm on one side of her face when she says this. She starts crying again and she uses both hands to pull her hair back and moves her hair to her left shoulder. Officer Pratt says, okay, and stands there in the car doorway. He then asks if Brian had been drinking. Gabby answers, no, they don't drink. And then Officer Pratt says, what was up with his driving? Gabby offers up that she hit his arm and said, you're an idiot, when the police pulled up behind them. And she reenacts it. Officer Pratt then says, so whilst he was driving, you were hitting him. And Gabby is saying, I, I, and the audio cuts. Gabby's still distressed. Okay, so this is a really important part of the police stop and the conversation. The audio is so hard to decipher that I checked for a transcript and I found one. I'm now going to share with you exactly what was actually said. So here's also a lesson in double-checking everything. Officer Pratt starts off by saying... So there's two people that came to us and said that they saw him hit you. There's two people that say they saw him punch you. Independent Witnesses by Moonflower. Gabby. Well, to be honest, I definitely hit him first. Officer Pratt. Where'd you hit him? Gabby. I slapped him in the face. Officer Pratt. How many times did you slap him? Gabby. Just a couple. Officer Pratt. And then his reaction was to do what? Gabby, grab my arm so I couldn't slap him. Officer Pratt, he just grabbed you? Did you hit him though? It's okay, it's understandable if you hit him and then he hit you, but we just want to know the truth if he actually hit you. Gabby, 
I guess, yeah, but I hit him first. Officer Pratt, where did he hit you? Don't worry. Gabby, well, he like grabbed my face like this. Um, he didn't like hit me in the face. He didn't like punch me in the face or anything. Officer Pratt, did he slap your face or what? Gabby, well, he like grabbed me with his nail and I guess that's why it looks like I definitely have a cut right here and I can feel it. When I touch it, it burns. So Gabby was quick to admit that she hit Brian first. She backtracked to take the blame and downplay his role in the fight. Also, Gabby says Brian's hands were around her face and his fingernails must have cut her skin as she says she can feel the cuts. Hands around the neck and or grabbing the face in this way are a high risk factor to serious harm and femicide. Granted, Gabby didn't say Brian tried to strangle her, but the meaning is clear to me. Grabbing someone around the mouth with enough force to cut a person with your fingernails tells me pressure was exerted. That was most likely quite scary for Gabby. And the message is clear. To shut up. It's an aggressive act with the intention to let her know he's in control. And also physically larger than her. And for her to pay attention to his control. It's certainly not a comforting act or one where a person is seeking to calm the other one down. Now, when hands go around the neck or the face like this, the risk of serious harm and or femicide increases sevenfold. I can also tell you that when hands go around the neck, the abuser never de-escalates his behaviour. It only ever gets worse in my experience. Now, this act assumes even more significance when you understand the manner of death and the cause of death in Gabby's case. And I'm going to share more with you in a future episode. Also, rather concerningly, Officer Pratt has no interest in pursuing this further. Noticeably to me, he doesn't document her injuries. He doesn't ask her to step out of the vehicle into the sunlight so he can see the cuts better and to take photos. Instead, he changes the subject and asks about whether Brian had been drinking. Now, going back to hands around the neck, because this is a really important point... It's a really important question in the DASH risk model. That's the domestic abuse, stalking and harassment and honour-based violence risk model that I developed in the UK. We ask this question for a reason, because we know it is a huge red flag. And in fact, in England and Wales, the act of non-fatal strangulation has just become a criminal offence in its own right because it is so important to understand in the context of femicide. Now, the fact this act, in Gabby's case, was missed, it tells me that the officer had not been trained on risk assessment and domestic violence. Also, the fact that Gabby was hesitant to say what really happened and is protective of Brian and not wanting to get him in trouble, well, that would be on my radar. And it should be on the radar of anyone who's been trained by an expert in domestic abuse and coercive control. In my experience of working many cases, the real victim often tries to protect the abuser as they don't want to get them into trouble. They often minimise their injuries and try and conceal their own suffering. They blame themselves for what has happened. Also, they're much less likely to deny acting violently. The abuser, conversely, would take no responsibility and would deny acting violently. They're much more likely to place the blame on the victim. Noticeably, abusers use violence to control 
and the victim often uses violence to defend themselves. And if Darvo is happening, the abuser will claim the narrative and more likely be the calm, rational person at the scene when the police are called. Untrained police staff will gravitate much more to that person to get their account of what's going on. I've seen it time and time again in cases that I've worked. So you might be wondering, what does DAVO stand for? The D stands for deny and minimise what has gone on. The A stands for attack. They'll attack the credibility of the real victim and get people to think that they're crazy or unstable and not to be believed or trusted. The RVO stands for reverse the victim and offender role. They will claim victimhood and have no qualms about doing this. With every case that I get involved with, I'm always on the lookout for Darvo. It's important when you know domestic abuse and coercive control is all about power and control, and an abuser will always seek to gain power and control, whatever setting they're in, but particularly over law enforcement and professionals involved in the case. That's why it's so important to be trained in domestic abuse and coercive control. Once you know what you're looking for, you'll see it if and when it happens. However, I'll caveat it that when an abuser is using DAVO, their responses are confusing. Well, they're supposed to be. It's part of the strategy. Another important interaction for me that I want to highlight was when Officer Pratt asked Gabby about her anxiety. Take a listen to this. Try to meditate stuff, which you tend to have a lot of anxiety and stress. <laughs> well, how did they say? And what's his name? Is it Ryan? Is he usually pretty patient with you? I have taken my anxiety and bringing it down, but my ex-wife, what's my ex-wife, just sharing, I know it's a little personal, but to help you understand, we would feed off each other's anxiety spiral, you know what I mean? And it doesn't matter how much I loved her. Maybe a bad for your soul, same. I'm not telling you what to do with your life, but if you know you have anxiety, look at the, look at the situations you can get in. You know what I mean? And we're not here to be mean to you. Well, you, you know, they never, there's a first time and then it usually, let's just, we'll go see what Brian said, but uh, I think you've heard everything now from. Quick question. You said you were hitting him in the arm. Did you grab the steering wheel? No, I didn't. You did not touch the steering wheel? I didn't touch the steering wheel, but only, only, only for like a second because I just saw the lights come on and it was more just like, you're an idiot. Like, you know. But did you grab the steering wheel and like swerve or anything like that? No, I don't know. I didn't touch the steering wheel at all. Officer Pratt asks Gabby if she has a lot of anxiety and stress, and Gabby says, yes, I have a lot. He then asks whether Brian is usually pretty patient with her. She says yes, but he gets frustrated with her a lot. The audio then drops out, and I can't make out what's then said. Officer Robbins interjects and asks if Gabby grabbed the steering wheel, and she clearly says, no, no, I didn't touch the steering wheel at all. And so it would seem to me that the van didn't swerve because of Gabby, as Brian described. And unfortunately here, Officer Pratt falls into all the tropes and stereotypes. One, Gabby has anxiety, that she gets worked up. And also here is Gabby upset, showing that she's upset and gets worked up. And there's a subtext tone of, you know how women get, women are crazy, that sort of message being conveyed by Brian. Also, as I said before, Brian is positioning himself as the patient and caring male partner. 
Thirdly, Officer Pratt, in return, projects his own experience with his ex-wife and superimposes it here, which is really not helpful. Again, it's evident to me that Officer Pratt hasn't been trained on the dynamics of domestic abuse, and he turns to Officer Robbins and says, I think you've heard everything, as if it's clear what's gone on. Now, my issue with that at this point is that there are still three competing narratives. There's Gabby's, then there's Brian's, and then there's the eyewitnesses. So at this stage, it's not accurate to state, I think you've heard everything, as if it's clear what's gone on, because for me, it's still not clear what has actually happened and why they argued in the first place. Gabby clearly told him that Brian grabbed her face twice and that her face was cut, but that's been disregarded. Now that's an assault. And Gabby told him that the van didn't swerve due to her grabbing the wheel, as Brian said. Due to the fact Officer Pratt ignores her account, Gabby lets it go and then asks for some water. She politely says thank you. Even in crisis, she's respectful and polite. Now, back to Brian. Officer Pratt is now asking Brian what happened, and he directs him to tell Officer Robbins what went on. This is what he said. Did you already give a statement to this officer? Uh, I've got I, this gentleman here. Yeah. This gentleman don't ask if you had some marks on your neck. Yeah. And she's got some marks on her too. Let's try to figure out what all happened. I know you probably already told your story. This officer is probably going to be the one handling the case. You want to, you want to listen to what he has to say and, yeah. and then you tell him. Tell him what happened, will you? So, if you don't mind. Start at the beginning for me. Start at the beginning. Um, well, I don't want to go too far back, but we've been in uh, Beyond Land for the past uh, week or so, traveling around. And the flies here are like pretty intense, so the flies have definitely been getting to her. And then my feet are dirty and everything. So I think that our little squabble started because we were, we were hanging out at the coffee shop, and when we got back to the van, there was some dirt and stuff. Man, and uh, I moved our food around as a result of this you know, So she gets a little. Will you take those two? Sorry about that. Sorry. Do you need any water? That's okay. It's hot out. I was we were going to get water because it ran out, but it's okay. No, it's alright. I don't like plastic bottles. Okay. Thank you though. Um But we just had a little disagreement there. And this disagreement was just that she was getting a little worked up and I was saying, Oh, it's okay, thank you. So it's good. So it was just more of a disagreement and I just wanted to What was the disagreement about? It was it was I wouldn't even call it disagreement. It was just uh, I'm Dirty and I can't change being dirty. Like I got dirty feet. I got sand in my flip flops and stuff like that. Um, it was every we at the coffee shop for so long because we were there from nine to three. So yeah, there's a few little little things, little just little relationships. Yeah. I don't have a relationship with three. I've been married for over five years now. So. There's a lot of little things. Right? Yeah, yeah I can um, and we, I get we, it. We really it was we weren't physical before the point where I said, all right, let's let's just take a breather and, and like walk away for a minute I'll lock the van up and I'll go for a walk this way and you could go walk that, that way in the block you know there's okay. that moon I want to moon flower right, yeah. you know nice areas you can go either way it's all shaded so let's so go for a little walk and breathe and come back it's pretty you know, happy with it um, but they but she just I saw, I'm not upset that her she got a little worked up and she had a phone in her hand and her keys and everything and she wanted I met her keys like her rings she had her rings the phone and I, well, I was holding on to the keys because I just I didn't want to go anywhere, and my big fear is, I, mean, I don't have my phone, I don't really, I don't have a phone, so she goes off without me, you know, I'm on my own. <laughs> so Brian is focused on Gabby's behaviour. The flies are getting to Gabby, 
And they had a little squabble because his feet were dirty and he moved food around and she gets a little... But he doesn't finish what he was saying because unfortunately he was interrupted. I would have liked to have heard what he had to say about Gabby. I'm not sure it would have been complimentary. And to paint the picture, three male officers are listening to Brian whilst Gabby is on her own in the back of the car. Brian is then asked if he wants water and he says that they were actually going to get some. The male parks officer makes a move to get him some water, and Brian, rather more insistently, says he doesn't like plastic bottles. His tone changes when he says this. It's evident to me that he feels strongly about this, and I'm now reflecting back on the 19th of August post on Gabby's Instagram, so five days after the police stop, which seemed out of kilter with the rest of her content. It was the one that read, almost immediately after telling at bizarre underscore design underscore how happy it made me to see that people were truly respectful of the park, I watched some guy leave his processed pre-packaged plastic conglomerate of lunch garbage on the picnic table. Sad face. Hashtag respect your national parks. Hashtag MPS. Hashtag parks project. Hashtag live sustainably. Hashtag van life. Hashtag live plastic free. Now I'm even more convinced that Gabby wasn't the author. But back to the police stop. Brian said, We just had a little disagreement there. So the language again, a little squabble, a little disagreement, which minimises what's gone on. Remember how upset Gabby is. Officer Robbins then said, What was the disagreement about? Brian answered and said, I wouldn't even call it a disagreement. It was just dirty feet and I can't change being dirty and I got sand in my flip-flops. He says that they were at the coffee shop for so long, from nine till three. He continues, so I guess they were just a few little things. A little things, he reiterates. The little things said twice is for emphasis. The subtext is, come on, you know how it is, you know what us fellas have to put up with, that sort of thing. And bingo, Officer Robbins then says he's been married for five years and he gets it. He gets the subtext and there's some bro smirking going on here. More subtext. The shit us fellas have to put up with, eh? That sort of thing. And Brian says it again. Now, for me, it's an oversell on Brian's behalf, but fortunately for Brian, the officers are buying what he's selling. The oversell of the little disagreement, the little squabble, and the fact that Gabby is so distressed, well, I believe that the argument was pretty major. But here's Brian, the reasonable, affable, patient guy surrounded by the three male officers, and then there's Gabby, still crying and grizzling alone in the back of the patrol car. Brian continues saying that they weren't physical before the point that he said, let's just take a breather and walk away for a minute. I'll lock the van up and you walk one way and I walk the other. Brian said he wanted them to go for a little walk and take a breather and come back. But he says she wasn't, but doesn't finish the sentence. And he said he wasn't upset with her and she just got worked up and she had her phone and keys in her hand and her rings and that he was holding onto the keys. He said he didn't want to go anywhere. He said his big fear was that he didn't have his phone and if she did go off without him, he'd be on his own. And he laughs and looks to the park ranger to see if he's nodding and laughing along with him. Good news for Brian, because he was. Brian also said he didn't really have a phone. Well, he either does or he doesn't. 
and we know that he does. Also, the car keys were hers, so why did he take them? Now, I don't know for sure, but I would imagine in this scenario, he may well be flipping the script. We know that she was the one who was desperate to get into the van. Now, this leads me to wonder whether Brian was threatening to leave without her. Now, he said it was his biggest fear, but in this context, I wonder if it were Gabby's. It's a question that I always ask a victim when I'm working with them. What's your biggest fear? So why do I believe it's Gabby's biggest fear at this time? Well, it wasn't Brian who was desperately scrambling to get into the van. And that would explain her behaviour. And why else would she be so upset? So let's go back to Brian's narrative when he's talking about getting physical. Take a listen to what he had to say. I was saying, I'll just go for a walk and she was trying to get the keys for me, so I was just going, just wait back up, back up, and it doesn't, she hit me, and I, I didn't, didn't give, I don't want to push you, but I didn't give it, I didn't get overtly physical, I was just trying to keep her away and it not get hit, and then I got really loud, and like, that's probably, if you're ever attention where I was going, back up, get away, just give me a, okay, so, so you I, said you pushed her to create some distance, obviously, yeah. right? What happened after that? What got, what got the scratches on your hand? The phone. The phone? So you push her, and she hit you she was I wasn't I, I, it wasn't like a push and she jumped on me she was she's already she was already I don't know what she's already swinging and I was multiple yeah. a lot of angles a lot of nails a lot of rings yeah you got three scratches in your neck you got one on the left side of your neck you got one in your face here and you got four blood bleeding so it looks like two hands do you mind lifting up your right sleeve for me I'm curious about something oh okay I suppose fingernails, but yeah, I'm not complaining. Absolutely. I'm not complaining about Is it bruised or tender or anything like no, that? No, no, no. Okay. I'm fine. I love that. I, I hope she doesn't have too many complaints about me. <laughs> I'm just, uh, you know, I, I feel bad. I didn't get so public. I was just trying to be loud. This is, you know, I just try to make her calm down and be like, look, everyone's watching. He says, I was saying, let's just go for a walk, and she was trying to get the keys from me. So I was just saying, wait, back up, back up. And he motions with his hands like a pushing or shoving motion. And that's when she hit me. He looks to the male park ranger and says, I don't want to push you. And he sort of motions as if he's going to use him to demonstrate. And then he says, but I didn't get overtly physical. I was trying to keep her away and not get hit. And then I got really loud which probably drew others' attention, and I said, just back up, just get away. Officer Robbins then says, okay, so you said you pushed her to create some distance, obviously. What happened after that? What got the scratch on your arm? Brian says he got the scratches from the phone and the keys, but Brian can't really describe what happened next. He's trying to use his hands and show them, and he says... It wasn't like a push, and she jumped on me. She was already, I don't know, swinging, and I was just... And he tells off and looks at the male park ranger, who jumps in and says, there were lots of hands swinging, and then he begins to act it out physically. The park ranger, that is. And Brian says, yeah, there were a lot of hands, a lot of nails, a lot of rings... Now, for me, it's amazing to watch this play out on camera. The male park ranger helping with his narrative, and he wasn't even there. 
but more so acting it out. And then he jumps in again and starts listing scratches around Brian's face. Brian is then asked to lift his T-shirt up and he says, It's fingernails, but I'm not complaining. Brian laughs nervously. I love Gabby. I hope she doesn't have too many complaints about me, he said. This comment really pops for me. It's an odd thing to say when he's made allegations about her and said nothing positive about her in this whole exchange. Now, I believe it's another attempt to find out what Gabby said about him. But what's missing for me is a lack of concern for her. He hasn't asked how she's doing, despite her being very upset. That, to me, is an omission from a caring fiancé, in inverted commas. Thus far, Brian has been hyper-focused on persuading the officers to believe his version of events. And it certainly seems to be working. Now, that having been said, Brian does have some marks on him. But so too does Gabby, on her face. But I believe Brian at this stage fully knows the male officers are on side. The injuries that Brian has are superficial and may well have been caused when Brian grabbed Gabby around the mouth and or when she was trying to get the keys. In cases involving strangulation, the female victim may scratch or cut the perpetrator as they try and pull the perpetrator's hands and arms away from their neck and or face. They may even catch and cut the abuser's face if their face is close to the victim's. Therefore, the perpetrator can appear as the injured party when they're, in fact, the primary aggressor and a victim is fighting for their life. Now, Brian says he got loud to tell Gabby everyone was watching. But normally, when you don't want everyone to watch and notice, you do the opposite. You speak in hushed tones. Why would you get loud? Surely that would draw even more attention. However, after this exchange with Brian, the officers spend about five minutes chatting with him about his travel plans, talking about where they live, comparing notes. They sound like guys just shooting the breeze. It all seems a little too pally for me, whilst Gabby is still sobbing in the back of the car. Officer Pratt then comes over and says that there were two eyewitnesses. He asks Officer Robbins if he wants him to tell him about that. Officer Robbins says yes. That's next week, so join me back in the intelligence cell for part six of the murder of Gabby Petito. Until then, be curious, ask questions, and always trust your instinct. Here's my final two cents before the episode wraps. If you like what I do, please take two minutes to leave a five-star review wherever you listen to Crime Analyst or on the website www.crime-analyst.com. It really helps others find me and also helps with the ratings. Crime Analyst is written, produced and hosted by me, Laura Richards. Sound engineering by Jason Sheasley at Abridged Audio. Cover art and graphics by Chris Robottom at Syndicate and music by Kilrood. Mother's Day is almost here and you can get her the most beautiful time-tested gift around. A watch she can wear every day for movement. Whether mom's into classic dress watches, rare and refined ceramics, or tried-and-true bestsellers, Movement has something she'll love. 
And right now you can save big on the best Mother's Day gift ever with up to 50% off site-wide during Movement's Mother's Day sale at MVMT.com. Again, that's up to 50% off at MVMT.com.